Proverbs says, a good man leaves his inheritance to his children's children. So my grandkids are getting it all. All the guns, all the antiques are going to my grandkids. And there better be some girls. So you better find somebody soon. Because your brother, he's, I don't know what he's doing. Amen. Amen. We're on the subject of mercy. We want to go on. Um, How many of you know that God has a voice? And how many of you know the Bible says, you know, we should hear the good shepherd's voice and not the voice of a stranger? So God has a voice. Jesus has a voice. The Spirit of God has a voice. And the Bible says there are many voices other than God's voices, voice. So we as believers better distinguish what voice are we listening to every day. If you're a believer, you should know the voice of the good shepherd. And the voice of a stranger you will not follow. Amen. Well, uh, last fall, late last fall, I was in Omaha at Lord of Hosts. Pastor Hank and Brenda Kuhneman's church. He's not only a pastor, he's a prophet. And he had Dutch Sheets in, and he had Chuck Pierce, and it was jam-packed full. And, and they ministered on the coming decade. Remember? You remember I told you some of you know, a little bit about this. What was to come in the next decade? And one thing that Pastor Hank said, and he said it prophetically, was promote God's mercy in this new year. Promote God's mercy in this new year. And so that is our objective. We want to promote God's mercy. Would you put that up there for me, Caleb, please? And so we've been talking about and we've been defining God's mercy. And so here's just some definitions You know, when we say mercy, we need to think of these other nine steps. Number one is loving kindness. So, bottom line, God is a God of kindness. He's a good God. Amen? Unfailing love. God loves us with an everlasting love. Unfailing love. Unconditional love. A steadfast covenant love. You got to know what covenant means. If you... If you did any study on the mobsters of America from years gone by, the mafia understands cutting a covenant. Amen? We have a covenant with Almighty God, and if he says it, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a God that is tender. Say tender. Unlike Abe and I, God is tender God. Oh, we're, we're tender, aren't we, a little bit? Just a little working on it. He's a God that forgives. He's a God that is faithful. He's a God that shows pity and compassion. And he's a God that is always active and ready to remove the cause of distress in others. Thank you. You can take that down. So that is our God. You know, God gets blamed for so much. He gets a bad rap. What goes on in the world, the weather, the tornadoes, the floods, you know. 
Did we blame God for this flood? No, I thanked him for it. Because we got everything new and it's almost all paid for. But he gets a bad rap. You know, the devil, the Bible says, is the God of this world. The government, the economy, the financial scene. The devil, you know, a long time ago I heard this. Good God, bad devil. That simple. So God is a, a God of mercy. His nature is merciful. When he appeared before Moses, he went and he said, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Is that a good report of God? See, I want to build in you this year, and I think you already know this, that God is a great God. He's a loving Heavenly Father. I was so blessed to have a, a, a father, and I've, I've spoken about my dad. I lost my dad to cancer when I was 20 years old, 21 years old. Woke up, and he was dead in bed. My whole world was rocked. And, and I, I told you this the night before, my dad owned a business, and as I went out to go do my party thing, like I always did, I was great at it. Had a lot of fun. I told him the last thing I said to my dad, I said, I, I really believe I'm going to take over your business. And he sat in the chair, and he was so sick, and I didn't even know he was dying, really, because they kept it from me. Woke up the next morning and was his dad in bed. I wished I could have said, Dad, I really believe I'm called to be a preacher. And that would have thrilled him. But that's not what he heard. But he knows what I'm doing. But I had a good father. A loving heavenly, a loving father, a giving father. And I've told you this story when I was a young kid. You know when you get your first car? Remember your first vehicle? My folks didn't have a lot. And, and I'll never forget this. My, I had this car, and it was a 1978, no, it wasn't, it was, it was uh, older than that, Pontiac Le Mans Sport Coupe, the stick shift. Man, I thought, God, if I could get that car, I could get the chicks. I wanted that car so bad. And I'll never forget, the, we went and looked at the car, and we went home, and there was... We were sitting at the table, the kitchen table in our tiny kitchen, and there was my mom and their old stoic German and my father and myself, and, and I'll never forget this. I've always told you I made her pull open the cigarette drawer a lot because <laughs> I was a character. And she put her head down on the table and started to cry, and she said, my dad's name was Elmer. What a name. Elmer, but don't you realize he'll have a better car than we do? I got the car, but that was my dad, very giving. I want you to see how, how much your father loves you. He's a good God. I'm not even preaching my message today. I'm off on a tangent. But I want you to know, whatever you're going through, maybe you didn't have a good natural father. Or maybe you didn't have a good mother. Maybe you didn't have a strong support system or a good family. Well, quit whining and complaining. 
If you've got Jesus, you've got the most ultimate heavenly father. You have a relationship with God, the great creator of heaven and earth. And his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. God's eyes are on you. He's speaking to you. You just got to learn to listen for that voice. He's got wonderful blessings. We got, yet the other day, can I tell him about the, in the mail? Yeah, I always have to ask her because I've said stuff before. Then when church is over, she takes me aside and tells me I shouldn't have said that. So now I'm just trained. It's like a dog and pony show. I just look at her. Can I do this? Can I say this? She's got me trained, Ron. That's what happens. We got in the mail an envelope. And in the, in the envelope, and it was from a reputable company out of Omaha, it said, pay to the Harvest Church $2,000. And I went home. I threw it on the table. I said, that's some scam. And she looked at it. I don't know where it came from. She took it to the bank. The bank couldn't figure it out. We're going back to the bank. It says, payable to Harvest Church $2,000. We don't know what it's about. But I, I'm going to start. My hopes are up. $2,000. God can do things for you people. He loves you. I love my kids, my boys. They've always, you know, we basically have spoiled them. My dog's treated better than most children. Righteous man, the Bible says, takes care of his, of his pets. It's in the Bible. Some of you need to start expecting some good things this year. Yeah, I know what's going on in the government and all over the world. And it's, you know, the world's going to hell. That's why we need church. To save them from going to hell. Because God's a loving God. And he desires, he doesn't want anyone to perish. What happens is too many of us focus on what we do not have. Instead of what we do have. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Well, if I just had the money, if I just had this, if I just had that, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. You'd be, still be miserable. Because wealth and things, riches, material possessions might provide a temporary salve or band-aid, but when it comes down to it, you're still going to be miserable without Jesus. That's it. That's the truth. Now, we told you uh, last time, there are some things that you as a believer can do to promote God pouring out even more mercy on you. Now, wouldn't you want to have more mercy? And so last time we said that you and I as believers, we need to learn to exercise mercy. In other words, you reap what you sow. If you sow mercy, you sow loving kindness. If you sow forgiveness to others, what are you going to reap? 
You reap what you sow. You sow mercy, you're going to reap mercy. Amen? So it's your responsibility to do that. In Micah 6, verse 6, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy. Say, to love mercy. Say, I should love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. 1 John 2 and verse 6 says, He who says he abides in him should himself also walk just as he walked. And do you remember we ended last time we gave you the parable of the Good Samaritan. What did Jesus tell the lawyer who was questioning him? He said, as far as mercy, he said, go and... <clears throat> so what he said? Go and... <clears throat> go and do... Likewise, that's simple. Jesus said, you know, that that Samaritan, that half-breed, showed mercy. Go and do likewise. Well, I'll do that if it's my, my neighbor, because there's one neighbor on one side I like, and there's a neighbor on the other side I don't like. So I'm going to show mercy to the one neighbor. How many of you got neighbors you like? Let me see. You live in the country. You don't have any neighbors. How many got neighbors you like? Now, how many of you got neighbors you don't like? But God says we're supposed to sow mercy even to the ones that we don't like. And that's sometimes a difficult thing to do. Now, I'll, I'm not even hardly getting started, and I'll close. You want to close? Abe said we had guests today, so I couldn't go very long. He really did. No, he didn't. The next responsibility is this. Would you put up the Scripture for me, Caleb, please? In Deuteronomy 7. So I'll just give you an introduction to my message, and we'll finish it next week. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, it says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. What kind of God? Faithful God, who what? Keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand... Think about that. That's a lot of generations. A thousand generations with who? Those who what? Love Him and keeps His commandments. So, we are to exercise, number one, mercy, go and do likewise. And number two, we are to love God and what? Keep His commandments. Bottom line, real easy. I want to read this to you about the love of God. It's in my Bible. It says, God is love, not just loving but love. Say, God is love. Love is not a description of God. It is the very essence of God. Now, that's something you can think about. His quality of love can be understood as the unselfish giving of oneself for the highest good of another. Let me read that again. 
His quality of love can be understood as the unselfish giving of oneself for the highest good of another. It is not capricious, sentimental, or mere romanticism, but a steadfast, now listen, a steadfast choice to be other-centered. Say other-centered. Divine love is multifaceted, the diamond of God's nature. The New Testament understanding of love is shaded by such Old Testament meanings as here where God declares his love for his people. Two Hebrew words appear, one signifying God's never-ending choice to will our highest good, the other portraying his passionate affection for us. Such is the divine love we find in knowing God. That's a good description of the God kind of love. Now, look over a chapter if you're there. Look at Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 and 5, the Jews would repeat this twice a day. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's the Jewish Shama is how it's pronounced, I believe. And here, here it is, and you've heard it, you're familiar with it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, there's a word that jumps off the page there, and it's three letters. Guess what word that is? All. And so the Jews, they every day, twice a day, they would... Say that, confess that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But how many of you know the Jewish people got so caught up into their laws? They got so caught up in, you know, their ritualistic religious ceremony that they forgot really about worshiping God and loving God from the heart. God wants us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Yeah, what they did was right. But now look, let's look at one more scripture, then we'll close. Matthew chapter 22. And here Jesus quotes this. Matthew chapter 22. And he goes a step farther. Matthew 22. Look at verse... 34. So the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they wanted to know which is the first commandment of all. And so in verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, (laughs) Jesus was good at doing that, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, here here it is again, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, should we stop there? Uh Uh-uh. Then he goes on, and he says, And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
you know, you look at this, and you need to realize if if you want to experience more of God's mercy, then you need to love Him, and you need to obey His commandments. And let me go on and read this, because it, it goes on and and about love, describing love. It says one of the greatest indicators that we are growing in a relationship with God is found in our willingness to love. God is love. Love is not just something that he does. It's what he is. It follows then that we are never more godly, never more like God than when we love. So we're like God when we what? How easily we may look at these two commandments and say quickly, I love the Lord, yet struggle with loving our neighbor. Jesus makes the second commandment as important as the first. We cannot fulfill the first commandment to love God without obeying the second command to love our neighbor. And I'll be honest with you. I got some great neighbors. And I got some that just plain suck. Can you say that word? I just said it. Because it will register with you. I've got a neighbor that... I don't know how to describe. Yeah, just be careful. This neighbor does not care about his fellow neighbors. And he will do things just to provoke the neighborhood. And I'm not going to go into detail. And that's where I have to really watch it. Now, is it just me or you? Maybe some of you live in the country and don't have neighbors. Well, good for you. I'll trade places with you. He says, we cannot fulfill the first commandment to love God without obeying the second command to love our neighbor. Nor can we avoid this problem by narrowing our definition of neighbor, now listen, to people in our neighborhood. That is to those of our family, race, perspective, economic or intellectual level, value system or religion. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes the world my neighbor by qualifying anyone God puts in our path or who needs us as our neighbor. You want to experience more of his mercy? then you're going to have to, just like me, learn how to extend that mercy and that love to somebody that maybe you don't think deserves it. Maybe their skin color is different. Maybe they come from a different background. Maybe, maybe they talk different. But we're commanded to extend mercy. Everyone say, oh, me. Is there any hope? Sure there is. If you got Jesus, there's always hope. Let's stand up this morning. Would you put the prayer up for me, please? You know, week after week after week, if you're a preacher, it's great at times 
when you know exactly what he wants to t- which wants, what he wants you to ex- share with the people on Sunday morning. And you get in a groove and you just know, you just know, you just know. It's like, you know, you're just flowing in that river. And this week I, I struggled because I didn't know what, it just didn't click. And I was out here late last night. Well, today God just said some things, I believe, off the cuff. And you need, you need to understand, maybe I'm not preaching or I'm teaching, but I'm expressing, I believe, the heart of God that you need to really pay attention and hear what he's saying. Let's pray this prayer together this morning. Help me to love you, Lord, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let your love in me motivate me to love my neighbor as myself. Spirit of God, help me to practice instant obedience to the word of God so I can experience your mercy daily and grow in your love. Now, I'll give you a a warning. If you do not want to hear a message on obedience, then don't come next Sunday. Just stay home. I'll know who you are which will tell me that you just want to be disobedient, lawless sheep. But if you're you're here next Sunday, we're going to talk about how important it is to obey God instantly. And if you do, you'll be blessed and you'll experience mercy. Look at your neighbor and say, let's go eat. Look, Look at your neighbor and say, Abe's buying. Amen. Anything else? Wednesday night teaching service. Yeah, get those flowers out of here. Rip them. I want them out of here. They're going to get thrown away. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week. Sowing mercy.